The Bible says in Ephesians chapter number 4 and verse number 27, neither give place to the devil. You know, that'd be a great memory verse for all of us, such a simple, easy verse to remember. Ephesians 4.27, neither give place to the devil, because I believe that uh, probably most of us unwittingly have given much place, much territory, much room for the devil to work in our life, and we need to take heed to what the Word of God says, and we need to stop giving uh, place to the devil, and certainly we need to learn how to shut the door and keep out the devil. Today is part three. I want to talk to you about avoiding home invasion. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, in Jesus' name, we plead the precious blood of Christ. We plead uh, the help of the Holy Spirit here today. Uh, Lord, I think about what we talked about with the men last night there in First uh, Thessalonians chapter number 3, where Paul said, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course. Lord, it is our desire and prayer that the word of the Lord would have free course in our hearts today. It would work effectively, and God, that you would show us the things that we need to see. And I pray, God, that we wouldn't resist those things, but we would welcome and open up our hearts and be uh, be thankful for instruction and righteousness and Lord, that is exactly what our desire is here today as a pastor, to faithfully preach the Word of God, and Lord, to use the Word of God for instruction and in righteousness. Perhaps some things today will be said that will be reproving, convicting, uh, rebuking, but Lord, we need to know how we can survive spiritually in a world that is so dark around us. So give us grace. May the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit be real today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. On December 19th, 2020, just last year, just a few months ago, in Queens, New York, a man rings the doorbell of a 48-year-old woman while standing on the porch holding a bouquet of flowers. The woman looks out the window, and when she sees that it is only a florist delivery, she opens the door. At this point, three men force their way into the house, ransacking and stealing upwards of $100,000 in cash, jewelry, as well as other valuables. The men tied the woman up and began poking her in the face with a kitchen knife, as well as torturing her with a taser. Fortunately, the woman was able to free herself while the men were busy burglarizing the house, and she was able to flee to safety. Call the police. Thank God for the police. Amen? They may be imperfect, but when you need to call 911, you want to know that somebody's going to come and help you out. What a horrible tragedy, and you know, I had to be very selective and pick and choose because stories like that take place literally every day somewhere in America. I've read our local uh, record and landmark newspaper, and I've read about situations similar to, to this, and in some cases even worse, happening right here in Statesville, North Carolina. Brothers and sisters, the devil has many ways to enter your home. There was a day not long ago when you can invite people into your home without any threat. You didn't have to lock your doors or have a security system. That day is no longer. A person who doesn't take precautions in this day and age would be classified as a fool. If we wanted to get real, real blunt, we would call them an idiot. It amazes me how we take physical precautions but are oblivious to the dangerous home invasions of Satan himself today. We worry about our cash and our valuables, and unwittingly, Satan is entering our home through so many ways, and as the cliche goes, the devil is in the details and often we preach principles and we preach doctrine 
And pastors are scared to get down to the nitty-gritty and the details today for fear that we might offend someone. We might rock someone's boat. We might step on their toes or tell them something that literally is going to affect the way that they live their life. Brothers and sisters, look around and see how things are going in America. See how things are going in the church. Something's drastically wrong. We should be wise enough to wake up, smell the coffee, and say, hey, maybe there's something wrong with the processes of how we're living our life. But no, we don't do that. We don't look for details. How can we live godly? How can we get God back in our home? How can we get God back in our nation? We don't look for those details, but rather we choose to play the blame game. We just blame somebody else for it. The devil's just fine and dandy with us blaming some figurehead or some, some party or some, uh, some hero or some uh, great denomination, whatever the case may be. He doesn't care as long as we don't look in the mirror and say, God, what am I doing in my life that is allowing the devil to invade my home? The first thing that I want to talk about today is, number one, I want to talk to you about the false reaction to Phariseeism. People with moral and religious convictions are labeled as Pharisees today. You know that. I know that. We hear it from every liberal preacher. All of these churches that go liberal, that have no standards of holiness, that seems like the only thing that they ever get passionate about They don't preach against adultery and homosexuality and all of the dishonesty. And they don't preach against those things. They just kind of label those all generically as sin. But oh, when it comes to Phariseeism, they get real specific. They get real passionate. And they get very venomous preaching against the Pharisee. They have been duped into thinking that this sense of liberty that they feel when they abandon old-fashioned Bible convictions, they've been duped into thinking that this liberty comes from the Spirit of God, the Spirit of grace. Oh, they'll talk about grace, and they'll say, oh, listen, that's all, that's all old-fashioned, and that's all pharisaical. We don't, we don't worry about that. We don't do that. We don't preach against those things. I mean, we don't, we don't worry about how we dress or what music that we listen to. That's all pharisaical. We believe in grace and we've been liberated. And boy, they're excited about their belief. But the reality of it is, is the reason that they feel so liberated is because in their heart, their heart is rebellious and worldly, and they want worldliness to begin with, and they're tired of being stifled by the preachers that keep preaching convictions, sanctification, and holiness. They feel like that these standards are prohibitive, and it makes them feel like that they are in bondage. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. We are not in bondage to convictions and standards. We have been made free from the bondage of sin, not the bondage of standards. My goodness, let's, let's take a look at what Jesus had to say about the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 2 through 3, Jesus says, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe... That observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. Listen, the Pharisee is the hypocrite. The Pharisee isn't the one that has rules and standards and convictions. Jesus himself said, whatever they teach you to do, do it. They're teaching you what's right. They're just not doing it with the right heart and the right motives. How about Matthew 23, verse number 23? Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. And by the way, Luke's gospel, Luke eleven forty two, instead of judgment, mercy, and faith, 
Luke's gospel says the love of God. We've been talking a lot about the love of God here recently. And I think that's a great thing because our convictions and our standards and our morality should be the result of our love to God. And more importantly, of his love for us. Jesus said at the end of the verse, he said, These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. You know what the Lord's saying? He said, don't stop tithing your spices. There's nothing wrong with tithing tithing from your spice rack. Nothing wrong with that at all. What they're saying, what they're doing is not wrong. Don't throw away the convictions. Just start doing it with the love of God and with judgment, mercy, and truth. The things that are weightier and more important. We don't see that in modern Christianity today. What we see is we see people just throwing out dress standards, throwing out music standards, throwing out entertainment standards, and on and on and on, thinking, oh, that's old-fashioned, that is pharisaical, that's judgmental, and we're under grace. Folks, the devil is in the details. Standards of holiness were never the issue in Jesus' days. Pride was. Hypocrisy was. They had allowed the standard and their tradition to become a law. And I think this is where all of us need to be very, very careful because when we have convictions and we have standards and there's things that we don't do that it seems like everybody else is doing, I'll tell you the the thing that we are vulnerable to is becoming prideful, thinking that we are superior. And if we're not careful, we'll start taking our standard and we'll turn it into a law so that if somebody else doesn't have the same standard as us, then we'll classify them as wicked and sinful. And when we substitute, or excuse me, when we take a standard and we treat it like a law or a rule that comes from God then we are in dangerous territory of becoming a Pharisee. I want you to think about this with me. Genesis 3.3. Remember what Eve said to Satan? She said, But of the fruit of the tree which was in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. You read the Word of God, you don't find anywhere where God told Adam that of that tree that it shouldn't be touched. He only said that you shouldn't eat of it. You ever just wondered where Eve got that from? Maybe Eve got that, maybe she fabricated that in her own mind as a standard. You know, it's it's really difficult to eat fruit that you don't touch, amen? So if you don't touch it, then you're not in any danger of eating it. I would say touching, uh, don't touch it, is a good standard to have. Maybe she got that standard from Adam. Maybe Adam's being a good protective husband. And by the way, men are supposed to be the spiritual leaders of our homes. That is so rare today. Seems like mama, mother, wife is always the one that has the conscience And uh, the men don't want to take charge and say, hey, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, ladies, if your husband is not taking spiritual leadership, then do what you can. But don't usurp his authority. Follow God. But listen, maybe Adam was taking the spiritual leadership and his headship, and he was trying to protect Eve and said, hey, look, don't touch it. And maybe Eve just kind of got confused thinking that when Adam was saying don't touch it, that maybe God said don't touch it. Because after all, Eve got that commandment secondhand from her husband. Nothing wrong with the standard of not touching the fruit. But when Eve used that standard in spiritual warfare and presented it as the Word of God, then it was totally ineffective. There was no power in it. Why is that? Because it wasn't so. 
And anything that isn't so is going to be rendered powerless in this spiritual warfare in which we fight. Did not Satan himself misapply the word of God when he tempted the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 4 and in Luke chapter 4? Oh, he would take and he would quote the Bible, but he would take it out of context. Or he would fail to quote the verse preceding or the verse following. He would take and use the truth, twist it, leave out something that he uh, that would have hindered his agenda. And by the way, I know I've said it a hundred times, I'll say it again. Modern contemporary preachers, what they say from the pulpit is very seldom a lie or wrong. The problem isn't what they say, the problem is what they leave out. They don't tell you the whole truth. They just use the texts and the Word of God in order to promote their own personal kingdom-building agenda. Once again, the devil is in the details. And so we need to have a right attitude. We need to understand the, the, the right reaction to Phariseeism. Number two, I want to continue on this thought, and I want to talk to you about the value of standards. Take your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. I figured if I'm going to talk about the value of standards, I might as well just start this point out with the one that is despised and rejected, maybe the most of any biblical standard in the Word of God. I can't tell you how many times I've preached this and presented this and seen how God's children do a little two-step around it because they don't want to hear it, they don't like it. It doesn't fit our culture, it doesn't fit what my mom and dad taught me or what my grandparents did. Uh, It it just amazes me how God's people do such a sidestep or a two-step trying to explain away what the Word of God is crystal clear with. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 1. Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. You say, wait a minute. I can't touch my wife. My wife's a woman. I hope that you men that are married, that you married a woman. Isn't it a shame we have to say that today? If a man marries a woman, then uh, that's the way that God intended it to be. When a man marries a man or a woman marries a woman, it is confusion and it is abomination in the sight of a holy God. I don't care how many people disagree with what I just said. The Word of God is unchanged. It is fact. It is truth. And it ought to be stood for today. But it is not. A man, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Let's continue reading and let's figure out what Paul is saying here. He said in verse number two, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Ah, okay, I get it. That's pretty clear, Paul. You're saying that a man touching a woman, it's supposed to be for someone who's married to one another because if um, if you touch someone that you're not married to, then uh, it's probably, verse number two, going to lead to fornication. Wow. You know what? I believe that with all of my heart. That a man and a woman that are not married to one another should not be touching and petting and kissing and making out and doing all of those things. Listen, you have been duped into thinking that, hey, and this, this is a generational thing. The contemporary churches, there are, listen, this is going to shock you. There are youth leaders that are teaching college and career age kids and older high school teens that listen, hey, anything is okay as long as you don't go all the way. 
you got some pressures and you've got some stresses that are all building up. It's okay to relieve those pressures as long as you don't go all the way. They're teaching that, folks. It's wickedness. And it's leading to fornication. Verse number 3, let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. You know, here are some standards once again. There's a standard here. If you're not married to someone, listen, it's not saying that it's a sin for you to touch someone of the opposite sex. Listen, when you shake a lady's hand, gentlemen, that's not saying that that's a sin, The context here is not talking about chivalry. It's not talking about courtesies. Oh, I accidentally brushed up against a woman and touched them. Oh, now I'm sinful. I'm wicked. No, 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 no. That would be taking a standard and turning it into a law. That would be taking something that is a protective measure and turning it into bondage. I think Paul and the Holy Ghost assume that Christians reading this would have some common sense and be able to discern the context. Husbands and wives, adultery, unfaithfulness is rampant in our culture today. God says as a standard, render unto one another due benevolence. It's no guarantee And I know that there are people today that are so addicted to certain things that it's never enough. I think that all of you adults, you know where I'm going with this, or what I'm getting at. I'm not going anywhere with this. (laughs) But God gives us instruction in righteousness, render unto one another, do benevolence. And let's go ahead and let's continue reading here. It says here, verse 5, Or verse 4, the wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the, but the wife. You know what God's saying? Christian ladies, you can't have a perpetual headache. You're, you're a wise understanding congregation. You get that. Verse 5, defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer. Listen, when you're fasting, then intimate relations should be set aside, just like the eating of food. But it should be done with consent, out of courtesy. Listen, uh, sweetheart, I'm getting ready to start a fast, and I just want to make sure that you're okay with that. Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. And so there's that courtesy. And then notice what he says here, that you come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Uh, That word incontinency is different than what it's become today. If you don't know what the context of the word is, then it, it just, it depends The word means inability to control yourself. And there are certain appetites and desires that God put inherently in men and women. And God says within the marriage relationship, don't defraud one another because if you do, Satan's going to come along. You're going to let him into your home. You're going to let him into your life. And he's going to tempt you. Because you just have a hard time controlling those particular things. God established the natural relations in a marriage uh, uh, relationship in order to meet those particular needs that He put in us. As we've seen recently in our messages, the devil has snares that he uses. And he uses our natural instincts to bait us. I've said it many times, the Bible says that we can resist the devil and he'll flee from us. But worldly lusts are not to be resisted. They're to be, we're to flee from them. 
2 Timothy 2.22 says, Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And so there are some biblical standards between a man and a woman in order to make sure that people that are virgins keep their virginity and people that are married will not go outside of the marriage relationship and commit adultery and uncleanness and unfaithfulness to their God and to their spouse. By the way, by the way, sounds so innocent. I guess maybe in my notes I shouldn't have said, by the way, I should have said, buckle up. Since when do weddings and proms get a free pass? Since when? Dance classes for little girls? Are you kidding me? Hey, I got a better idea. How about Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue for little boys? What's the difference? You train a little girl to dance and to move her body and to be immodest. And then you say when she gets a certain age, we're just going to stop this? What's the difference between that and a little boy looking at Sports Illustrated, Illustrated swimsuit issue? I sat in a barber shop years ago in Idaho. And the barber, I had never, he had always had a clean magazine rack. And, uh, and, I, and I noticed that. I don't, I'm not going to go into a barber shop and be sitting there looking at all of these filthy men's magazines. I didn't mean looking at them. I meant just them being there. I don't even like being in that presence. And so out of the blue, the annual Sports Illustrated issue came in. And I didn't know it was over there. And so I'm sitting getting my hair cut. And there's a little boy in there, probably seven or eight years old. And boy, he's in the, I'm in the barber chair. There's an empty barber chair. And then there's a barber chair over here where the other barber. So the empty barber chair, this little boy, this grandson sitting there while grandpa's getting his hair cut on the other chair. And so, you know, he gets out of his seat and he goes over there, the magazine uh, rack there, and he gets that issue and he comes and plops right down, right next to me, as close as this stand is between me and him. And I'm sitting there getting my hair cut, and I'm looking at this. And this kid, this little boy, is just opening that up. And I mean, his tongue's hanging out, and he's drooling all over that. And he's just... And you know what? The barbers and grandpa are like, <laughs> isn't that cute? <laughs> and I'm steaming. I mean, I am just getting... Matter and matter and matter. Why? Because it's wickedness. Because here's a little boy that he doesn't know it, but he may have just started the destruction of his life and they're thinking it's cute. I was almost done with my haircut. And so I closed my eyes and I began to pray. I said, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Got done with my haircut. I uh, I paid uh, for the haircut, and I said, uh, I said, can I talk to you outside for just a minute? Uh, sure, Mr. Mitchell. I've been getting my haircut there for years. We stepped outside, and I said, that that just went on right there. I said, I'm just letting you know that if there's any potential of that ever happening again, I will never be back. And he said oh, I'm sorry if it offended you, I'll remove it. And I said, I appreciate you removing it, but I want you to know it didn't offend me. I said, it angered me because that is destroying that little boy and they're thinking it's cute. And I said, look, I'm, you know me, I'm respectful. I'm not trying to force my convictions on anyone else. I'm just letting you know. And he said, you're right. And you know what, that man... He respected my Christianity even more after that. We began to fellowship. And you know, here's a man that claimed to be Christian, and it wasn't many weeks after that that he got back in church. Since when is weddings 
and dances and proms. Since when are they, they the exception to holiness? Let me tell you something. If there's ever a time when there ought to be God-honoring going on, it ought to be at a wedding. Amen? And if there's ever a time when a Christian teenager has the opportunity to make a stand and say, No, I am not participating in the world's wickedness. Well, we don't want everybody to think that they're a weirdo. Well, therein lies the problem. That we care more about what people think than we care about what God Almighty thinks. I better settle down and get to my next page of notes. Hey, let's talk about the story of two young men. Proverbs 7, verse 7 through 8. Solomon's looking out of his window and he says, I beheld among the simple ones, I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding. Passing through the street near her corner, he went the way to her house. Listen, I don't believe for a moment that that young man in Proverbs 7 left his house and put on his jacket and said, hey, let's go commit adultery. Let's go see if we can find us a harlot. I don't believe for a minute he was thinking that. I'll tell you what I think he was thinking. I think he was thinking, let's just flirt around with it a little bit. Let's just kind of just see what it's like. Uh, you know what? I, he, he's probably thinking, look, I don't want to go all the way. I just want to see if, um, if I still got it, if I'm a hunk, if I'm a, uh, yeah, anyhow, you know what I'm talking about. To see if I can impress them and they'll think that I'm so handsome and so attractive. But I'll say, no, I won't go. I'll just, you know, I'll just flirt around with it. But no, the Bible says that with her much fair speech, she forced him. She caused him to yield. And you know the rest of the story in Proverbs 7. I hope you know it. Because at the end, Solomon says, he knoweth not that that snare is for his life. And that's where the dead go and they don't return. Just like an, just like an ox goeth straightway to the correction of the stocks. I didn't say that right, did I? I don't guess they put oxes in stocks, do they? An ox to the slaughter and a fool to the correction of the stocks. Boy, God, you're going to have to help me here because I'm not waxing very eloquent. But what was the young man's problem? He shouldn't even been hanging around there. In Genesis 39, verse number 10, And it came to pass, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her, to lie by her, or to be with her. You know what Joseph did? Joseph made sure that he wasn't in a place of danger. He wasn't in a place of temptation. Listen, young men, you shouldn't be in a house alone with the opposite sex. No way. Everything should be public. Everything should have propriety, not only for your purity, but also for your testimony. Not to mention the testimony of the, the girl that maybe you're interested in or isn't interested with you. Because people think, people know what goes on. Don't put yourself in that situation. You know what? Joseph lost his freedom and his standing, but he didn't lose his character. Later on, his freedom and his standing got restored even greater. I mean, you talk about God blessing him. But the young man in Proverbs 7, God says he never, ever could fully, totally recover. A scar, a reproach. He made it. He went through the rest of his life limping and wounded spiritually and something that he would, would haunt him and he would struggle with for the entire rest of his life. In 1989, I had to put my livelihood at risk. I worked for a sales company. And um, the sales manager and trainer was a young lady just a couple years older than me. And the boss said, look, I want, to, I want her to ride with you on your sales calls today. Or excuse me, tomorrow. And so I'm like, 
what do I do with that? And so, I mean, I'm, I'm realizing here that this could cost me my job. I went home and my wife and I, we talked about it and I already knew what the answer was, but I'm thinking, do I risk our livelihood? I definitely need to include my wife in this decision, but we were both 100% in agreement. You can't do that. I went the next morning, went into the boss of the company, and I said, look, I said, I can't do this. I'm uncomfortable with this. It's not fair to my wife. I don't want to have a bad um, testimony. And uh, he looked at me and he said, okay, not a problem. (laughs) It worked out fine, and God blessed it. But you know what? If it hadn't have worked out fine it wouldn't have mattered because God would have took care of me in some different way because of honoring him and honoring my wife and honoring my testimony. Hey, let's talk about communication with the opposite sex. There's some dangers in that, gentlemen. There's some dangers in that, ladies. You know, we live in a day and age when The entire culture is not the way that God intended it to be. Listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to put a burden on any of you and I'm not trying to uh, make anybody feel bad, but you know that God, the way that a home used to be by God's design is that dad went out and earned a living and mom stayed home and took care of the home and the children. Now, don't get cold on me here. You know it's the truth from the Word of God. And I'm not saying that there's never an exception to that. There's never a time when anybody ought to do different. But let me say this, and this I am absolutely emphatic about. With the cultural shift, the door to the devil is wide, wide open. You got men and women spending more time at work with the opposite sex than they do their own spouse. Having closer friendships and relationships. People who understand them and know them better than their own spouse. I mean, people that they go throughout the day, and you know what? It's people that don't have to put up with all of their flaws. Well... Fred at work, he just really appreciates me for who I am, but my husband doesn't. Ma'am, your husband knows you. He wakes up with your bad breath in the morning. Fred doesn't. Workplace affairs have almost become the norm And it ain't right, folks. And a lot of times it's because we have opened up the door to the devil. Listen, any phone conversations with someone of the opposite sex ought to be done with propriety and with care. Listen, I I try, and, and I'm not saying that I haven't in naivety and just something going over my head that I haven't, uh, ever failed to do this, but as a design, my wife and I, we have an agreement that if I'm talking on the phone to someone of the opposite sex, that my wife is present with me in the room while I'm having that conversation. When text messages and information is passing, I know many of you ladies know that I tag my wife, and so that any communication between me and you that my wife is seeing all of those texts. And why do we do that? Listen, and and if you think that I tag my wife in a text to you, it doesn't mean I'm attracted to you, okay? Oh, the preacher. (laughs) No. It's just a matter of propriety and a standard to try to protect, to make sure that no situation could ever come around that would cause any question of doubt and certainly no temptation. Hey, desperate times call for desperate measures. Let me take this a step further. Gentlemen, don't be alone with children. Parents, don't let your children alone with another man. 
well, they're good Christians. They're, it doesn't matter. Don't do it. Men shouldn't babysit other people's kids. Shouldn't be communicating with kids or the opposite sex on phones, messaging without accountability. Hey, how many, how many times have you heard of a church youth leader getting involved in immorality with someone in their youth group? Why? Because standards of propriety. Once again, the devil's in the details, folks. The devil's in the details. Hey, did not Jesus tell his disciples, the spirit indeed is well willing, but the flesh is weak? We need to look in the mirror and we need to say, you old stinking flesh, you are wicked and you are weak and I'm going to do everything I can to protect me from you. And that's what we ought to be doing. Number three. It's my last point, but we certainly ain't over. Minimizing the threats. How do we minimize the threats? 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 11. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his what? Of his what? Devices. What about that? We have a Bible here that was written thousands of years ago, and it is so modern and relevant to today's culture. We are not ignorant of his devices. Let's talk about some devices here today. First of all, let's talk about the television. Do you know Let me just give you some uh, information here that probably you don't know. Do you know that you could live without one? (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, preacher, you're really getting old-fashioned now. I I know why you started out this sermon with this Pharisee stuff. You're trying to protect yourself from being accused of one. No, 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 no. You could live without one. Um. When our kids were younger, we didn't have one. And uh, for many years, especially right after I got right with the Lord, you know, God convicted me of my television, and uh, I threw it in the river. The guys I worked with, I, I hauled this around in the back of my, my uh, car for months, and everybody at the machine shop would be saying, hey, Mitchell, where you, where you get the TV back there? Oh, God convicted me, I'm getting rid of it. Why don't you give it to me? I'll take it. So why would I give it to you if I'm convicted about it? And so I kept looking for a dumpster. And I never could find a dumpster that wasn't, it wasn't illegal to dump it, uh, you know, for private dumping. And so I went looking and I went driving around. And I remember over across the county line that there was dumpsters there and I couldn't find it. Back then we didn't have GPS. We didn't have stuff on our phones, and so I couldn't find that dumpster, and I just got sick and tired of hauling this TV around, and I pulled up on a bridge, and I threw that TV in the Ivy River. Hey, Mitchell, how'd you get rid of that TV? I threw it in the Ivy River. Oh, don't you know that's sinful polluting? Oh, good grief. Don't you find it interesting... And I, and I was taken back by this, how much attention I got over getting rid of a TV. It's like, I didn't go around telling anybody anything. It's like, what, what I do with my TV and what I have in the backseat of my car is nobody's stinking business. But it seemed like it just, they're coming out of the woodworks and making an issue out of this TV. And I thought, and I recognized at that point that, hey, maybe that's an idol, If you have one, content and quality must be censured, filtered, or controlled. Parents, Disney is as dangerous as HBO, maybe more so. 
maybe more so. You know, uh, there are there are some um, life-threatening diseases that you can catch, and uh, they can kill you quickly, but they can also be cured. Uh, usually, it's the kind that just creep up on you over years that can't be cured. Oh, they'll cause suffering. It's just so slow that you don't even recognize that it's happening. You know, it's funny how the whole the, our whole culture. Our whole culture started wearing masks to protect us from a virus that could kill us in a matter of weeks. But people take that mask off and just keep smoking those cigarettes. And, you know, the statistics of lung cancer from smoking, they just generate, they just keep going higher and higher. Well, my grandpa smoked three packs a day and he lived to be 95. Yeah, uh, that doesn't happen nowadays, folks. It doesn't happen nowadays. Most people that smoke cigarettes end up getting lung cancer. And um, lung cancer is a very unpleasant way to die. I watched my mom die from lung cancer, and it was extremely unpleasant. I don't recommend it for anyone. Television. If you have one, recognize that it can be the devil's device and you better limit the amount of time that you're on it. Do not put your kids in front of it without supervision. I, I'd, rather, I'd rather have a rattlesnake babysit my kids than a television set. All right, next one, the next device. Let's talk a little bit about gaming. There are video games that are obviously wicked. We know that. You've seen the commercials. You can look at the packaging, and some of them have all kinds of, you know, wickedness and stealing and killing and murder and guts. Those are obviously wicked. But all of them, and I mean all of them, may certainly lead to wickedness. Hey, let me ask you a question. (laughs) You better buckle up for this one, folks. Is there anything wrong with Candy Crush? <laughs> oh, I know what you're thinking. It's like, oh, no, no, preacher, surely there's nothing wrong with Candy Crush or etc. You know, there's all kinds of games that are similar to Candy Crush. Well, let me say this. They know, when I say they, scientists know this, that this type of gaming triggers part of brain, the brain and promotes other addictions. It has been further discovered that dopamine, a chemical that the brain produces, is released when we play video games. This release has been seen in abundance in the above-mentioned circuits, specifically in the nucleus accumbens, and I don't even know what that is, a brain structure known to play a role in feelings of pleasure as well as with addiction. I have a whole page here that comes from Psychology Today. And since we are close to the end of the message, I'm going to take the time to read excerpts from this. Playing smartphone games does not result from a desire to take part in any shared activity or to achieve any fantasy. Their gratification derives from a change of mental state, a sort of detachment. Listen, lest you think that I'm being hypocritical and pharisaical, you're looking at a man that, believe it or not, I started out getting addicted to free cell. Why? Because all of the pressures, all of the mental pressure of preaching and ministry and so forth, I found it as a way to just kind of veg and get my mind off of things. And the next thing you know, I'm just spending more and more time vegging. And then it wasn't Candy Crush, but it was one of the other types where you're just, you're, you're matching stuff and doing that. I found, oh, this is more fun and this is better vegging than free sell. And so I downloaded that app. And the next thing you know, every time that I turn around, I'm doing my mom called uh, smartphones, um, all of my nieces and nephews would be in the living room, and my mom would go, oh, they're all on their finger things. And I became like that. 
any spare moment. I'm on my finger thing. And, um, you know, it's just something that it occupies your mind and it uh, shuts down other processes. The urge appears just as hunger or thirst does. Like them, it requires no handling in depth and no thought process. Our primitive urges arrive from lower level areas of the brain, such as the limbic system, which is involved in emotions and motivation. How is the urge created? The game designers seem to have arrived at a winning formula, dubbed the ludic loop, and based on the fundamentals of behaviorism. The principle is simple. Significant feedback in response to an action encourages behavior that is repetitive, if not obsessive. A slot machine can provide a perfect representation of how the ludic loop encourages obsessive behavior. You perform a particular action and you receive reinforcement. The machine responds with lights, changing colors, noises, and sometimes a monetary reward. The reward causes us to repeat the same action again and again. A smartphone game is generally simple and easy to understand, and it requires no cognitive resources, so that children and adults alike can easily understand the basic principles. At the start, there is a system of learning by stages, whereby each time the level of play advances a bit. The challenge is revivified, and thus the ludic loop is renewed, and the desire to continue receiving those fresh doses of gratification causes us to play again and again. Listen, if you are a gamer, you know what I'm reading here is 100% accurate. Like it or lump it, it's the truth. Our attraction to this kind of action is attributed to the neurotransmitter called dopamine. That's the word, the, 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 the word dope comes from dopamine, a chemical found in our brain. Initially, scientists associated dopamine with feelings of enjoyment, a high level of dopamine being visible during act- activities such as eating chocolate, uh, intercourse, and hearing favorite music. But research in the past decade has indicated that dopamine has additional functions besides activating gratification and pleasure. This molecule helps us in pattern recognition and it alerts us by dropping to low levels to a deviation from the familiar pattern we've learned to a surprise, in other words. In other words, it reprograms your brain And uh, not only is it addicting in and of itself, but it reprograms your brain to seek out that type of stimuli in order to feel normal. Not to mention that there are games such as Fortnite, that's an online video game that kids play that encourages communication with strangers. And strangers use this gaming in order to lure unsuspecting adolescents in. And uh, I don't even want to even talk about what they do in those situations. I think that all of us know what goes on in our society. Hey, the next device that can be the devil's device is the computer. Listen... Uh, the computer is a tool that's almost essential today. And because it is so common, we need to recognize just how deadly and dangerous that they can be. Listen, kids should never be on a computer unsupervised. Never. Thank you. I thought, well, certainly, certainly we're smarter than that. Computers need to have safeguards. And listen, I don't have time to go into safeguards, but there, there's got to be safeguards and accountability. And listen, there should be transparency. Anything, any website that's been on, anything that has went on, your spouse or anyone or everyone in your family should be able to go on there and look and just see everything and not go, oh, my history's been deleted. Why would you delete a history? 
there should be accountability because computers are very, very extremely dangerous things. Kids' gaming devices can be used to download music, pornography, access social media, communication with friends. Let me say this, when it comes to computers and gaming devices and so forth, are you ready? Trust no kid. Oh, my kid's a good kid. That's the ones that the devil is after the most. Don't trust any of them. Don't trust them. And by the way, don't trust anyone when it comes to the devil's devices. Don't trust your... Well, my parents, you you just don't trust me. Why would I trust a kid when I don't trust myself? That's insanity. I don't trust myself with that stuff. I got some wicked flesh, just like you do. It's time we wake up and, and, and smarten up and start shutting the door on the devil. Speaking of smart stuff, smartphones. Hey, what's a smartphone? It's just a computer with a small screen. All devices that have access to the World Wide Web should have parental controls and accountability. And by the way, a, a, a kid doesn't need a, a, a cell phone. I, I've never seen an exception. You give a kid a smartphone, and they're going to figure out a way around any block. And listen, you're, you're, you're going to open them up to destruction. Listen, well, they'll hate me. They'll hate you until they get old enough to go do their own thing. But after they have kids, they'll look back and they'll go, thank you, mom and dad, you were right. I know how wicked it was. So everything should be totally transparent to our spouses. Much more could be said about music, social media, friendships, etc., These are all the devil's devices. Romans 13, verse number 14 says, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Listen, the devil is trying to destroy people that want to do right and don't want to do wrong. But what happens is we open the door, we're ignorant of his devices, We don't shut down the door. We don't have proper standards of ethics and propriety and protecting ourselves from ourselves and protecting our children from a wicked world around us. We need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Conclusion. Conclusion. The spirit of Lot is the spirit of today's Christian. You know, Lot went down, he pitched his tent towards Sodom, he saw that it was just a wonderful place. We talked a little bit about that two weeks ago, a lot like the Gadarenes who created an an atmosphere, an ambience that was welcoming and inviting to devils. Lot went down there, the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners, and next thing you know, Lot finds himself a city councilman, and he's popular, and he's being a judge, and He's a muckety-muck, and he's got some popularity and some glory, just like every human being craves. He's got some acceptance, some liberty. Oh, he's no longer under the shadow of Uncle Abraham. He's able to live his own life and fulfill his own destiny. God goes to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot loses all of his family with the exception of two daughters, and you know what his daughters ended up doing to him. Listen, he got them, he got them bodily out of Sodom, but Sodom came right with them in their hearts. His wife turned back, I mean, lamented the destruction of that wicked place, and God turned her into a pillar of salt. Everybody else died in the fire and brimstone. And listen to what Lot's saying in Genesis 19, verse 19. Behold now, This is that the angels grabbed a hold of Lot and his daughters and his wife, drug them out. I mean, literally had to drag them out before God destroyed it. Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight. Thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain. 
lest some evil take me and I die. What? Does not Lot know now that God is real and that God is powerful? He just saw God destroy the wicked sinners. He doesn't think that God can protect him or take care of him there in the mountain. And so he says, behold, now this city is near to flee into. And watch this. Is it not a little one? Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one and my soul shall live? That is the spirit of God's children today. I mean, we know every, I guarantee you, 90% of you here today are in your mind saying, preacher, I know you're right. But you have the spirit of Lot, and it's just like, well, I can manage this. It's just a little one. I'm not going to change my life. I'm not going to get rid of my games, or I'm not going to get rid of my access. I'm not going to do any of that stuff. I know you're right, but I think I can handle it. It's the spirit of Lot, and Lot didn't handle it. His soul was vexed, and he lost his family. He opened the door wide open to the devil, and the devil destroyed them. King Saul was actually a pretty good guy. He did a lot of things good. He killed a lot of Philistines. I mean, he did some good things as a king. But he would only... You know what he did? I don't find anywhere in the narrative of Saul where Samuel showed up and said, Saul, I want you to do this. And Saul said, forget it. I ain't doing that. Saul never did that. Saul tried to figure out, how can I obey God, at least mostly, and still do what the, the elders and the princes want me to do? How can, I, how can I make everybody happy? That was the nature of Saul. He wasn't, he wasn't like, you know, no way, God. He just tried to play both sides and fit in with the rulers, have his glory, and yet not make God angry. Talk about the spirit of Lot. The spirit of Saul is pretty common in Christianity today as well. God called it rebellion. In 1 Samuel 15, 23, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. What about that? God's telling us that when we just kind of partially sort of obey Him and yet kind of do what we want to do, and do what the world wants us to do, then that is rebellion. And God says that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. What is the sin of witchcraft? It is purposely opening the door to the devil, saying, hey, come on in, devil. We want your help here. We want to be part of what you're doing. It is inviting the devil in. That is the nature of witchcraft. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. On February 5th of last year, a little over a year ago in Fresno, California, three suspects posing as sheriff's deputies asked entrance into a home late at night. The homeowners At first, they almost let them in because they announced that they were deputies from the sheriff's department. But something just didn't seem quite right. It's a little suspicious. And so before they went to the door, the homeowner grabbed his firearm. Thank God you can still get away with that in California and America. Pray for our president. That may not always be the case. He went and he got his firearm. As he went to the door and there's communication going on, can you show me some credentials? At that point, those posing as sheriff's deputies, they broke through the door and broke in. As they were breaking in, the homeowner shot and killed one of them. Amen. And the others fled. The police issued this statement, and I'll share it with you on the screen. They said there were four people in the residence along with a 13-year-old that could have all been killed if it wasn't for the homeowner taking action. What did he do? He shut the door 
and he kept out the devil. He took action. The principles that have been presented to you today will be of no value. In fact, not only will they be of no value, but they will end up having a damning value if you reject the Word of God and say, nah, I ain't changing. I'm going to do what I want to do. You've been warned. There are many, many other things that we could preach about, but we could go on and on and on. But I think that you get the gist here today that there are devil's devices and there are ways that Satan subtly gets into our homes and our lives and we need to take action and shut the door and keep out the devil. Will you rebel against the word of the Lord? Are you prepared for a home invasion? Or will you shut the door and keep out the devil?